Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, I hope you're one of the ones who are already enjoying the work that you're doing, that you really are doing work that you love. Yeah, you know, sometimes people still kind of scratch their head and think, is that really possible? You know, isn't work just a bitter pill? Isn't work a curse from God anyway? We just have to endure so we get through it, get to the weekend, get to the weekend or get to retirement so I can quit this stinking job and do something I really love. Got a question today from somebody who says, do you think it's worth it to stay at a job for 10 more years where you're unhappy in order to get a better pension? Well, you should be able to anticipate my response to that 10 years in a job you hate to get a $500 bump in your pension pay. Nope, not going to happen. Not going to be recommended by me. I can't imagine doing such a thing. Well, this is Dan Meller. This is 48 Days Online Radio, where each week we take some questions that you, the listeners, have submitted Go through those questions. You know, these are real life questions. These are not theoretical things that I thought up or got them out of a textbook somewhere. These are the real life questions that you and I encounter out there. They're always interesting. They're always, it's always one of the high points of my week to open up the emails where these questions then come in. And I mean, I really, I eagerly anticipate when I'm going to be able to open this big envelope and start going through the questions because they're more interesting than anything I could dream up. Real life just tends to be that way. So thanks for sharing your lives openly. The questions you have that are of concern to you certainly are concerning to others as well. So in unpacking the solutions to these, hopefully we'll get better solutions for all of us, uh, me included. You know, I love doing the research when you ask questions to come up with solutions that'll help you and me and a lot of others as well. Here's some of the things we're going to be covering in today's online radio show. Dan, how can I devote full time to my podcast about anorexia and still generate an income? Dan, I want to design and build guitars. How do I start? I love to work outside, but I can't figure out how to make any money at it. How do I let a 17 year employee go gracefully. Now, not, we're not talking about a 17-year-old employee. We're talking about somebody who's been with a company, small company for 17 years. How do you let somebody go when they're no longer performing up to standards? Dan, my stepson has a prison record and is very discouraged about not finding work. Well, if you've got a question, you can submit one. We'll include it in an upcoming show. Just go to the podcast link at 48days.com and leave your question there. Our quotation for the day comes from Martin Luther King Jr. who said, all labor that uplifts humanity has dignity and importance and should be undertaken with painstaking excellence. I wrote a blog this week about a shoeshine operation. Recently, uh, Joanne and I were coming through the Denver airport and had about an hour layover, so I so the, where the shoe shine activity was going on seemed to be a real lively place, real front and center, right in the middle of a big corridor. Three guys there, one older guy, two younger guys. They seemed to all be having a lot of fun, and I stepped in the line to get in there. Now, I noticed kind of casually that there were no signs around about pricing or anything, and I thought, well, I'm probably just not seeing it, not a big deal. I know that, you know, a shoe shine in airports always going to be five, six bucks. That's it. 
So I got in line, got up there. Well, it seemed like they had a lot of people who knew them well, a lot of people who were regulars. They were doing a lot of, um, I was getting ready for a flight to Nashville. So there were a lot of people who had cowboy boots on and being in Denver, a lot of cowboy boots there anyway. So these guys were pros at doing boots. And I saw a lot of, you know, tens and $20 bills being handed back and forth, but I didn't pay much attention to it. I had on an interesting pair of shoes. They were Cole Haan shoes and they have a real rough texture to them. So they look kind of like a, an outdoor boot to start with. And I had, I had just had them a couple of weeks, so I hadn't had anything done to them yet. And I asked the young guy, you know, can you do something? He said, oh yeah, no problem. So we got up and he started rubbing with his hands, started rubbing oil into that. And man, things were coming to life and he did a really great job. Asked me where I was going, what kind of work I did, all that lifted up my shoes so he polished the underside the inside of the the heel that you normally don't see polished that as well just did a meticulous job i got up out of the chair and i said gee how much do i owe you he said whatever you'd like sir i said you gotta be kidding me are you serious he says yeah that's our policy whatever you like well you know i thought what a cool business operation now, what do, you, how, what do you think that does in terms of having them step up their service, to step up their real interest in me as a customer? I mean, we all know the old Dale Carnegie principles about how to get people more engaged. Does that make somebody a more excited, more willing customer, more profitable? Well, sure it does. These guys are polishing boots and shoes. No price is established at all. You give them whatever you want. That's why I saw the kind of money change in hands that I did. And of course, you know, I, sure, I don't want to be a cheapskate. I give the guy a $10 bill. Uh, no problem. Those guys probably make twice what normal shoeshine guys do. Obviously, do love their work. I mean, I asked the kid who was doing mine. Gee, how long have you been doing it? Gee, what does the normal day consist of? And he just talked with the, his work with a level of enthusiasm that you don't usually hear from CEOs of corporations. That's a cool example. It doesn't have to be rocket science. Most things, if you do it with an, an extra edge of excellence and enthusiasm, it's going to lead to extraordinary financial success for you anyway. Anyway, love the story, but it ties in with the quotation that we chose. Well, let's go right to the questions. Anne, Anne Sophie Reinhardt, needed to say the whole name there, love the name, from Zurich, Switzerland. Says Dan, I've recently launched a podcast about anorexia. I've been struggling with this disease myself for 14 years and am now finally recovering. I've noticed that many sufferers like the fact that I talk about this taboo and I make it my mission to raise awareness for eating disorders and to help those who are affected by it. My question is, how can I do that full time and still generate an income? And then my second question is, how do I approach the media in order to help me with my mission I get the attention of newspapers, TV, radio, and so on. Well, Ann, golly, man, I love what you're doing. I, I did click through to your site. I see that you just joined 48 Days. Thanks for being part of that growing group there, and you'll get a lot of help from the brain trust that we have there, all the other talented people there at 48days.net who can help give you ideas about how to grow your business too. It is difficult to generate significant income just from having a podcast. My podcast has always been entirely free. I've never done anything since I've had the podcast. Well, you know, I shouldn't say that. I did for a while. I did promote audible.com 
for a while. And they compensated me based on the number of people downloading the podcast, which was pretty significant. But I just, even there, just felt a little uncomfortable doing that and went back to just having no ads of any kind. Now, certainly I mention a lot of things. If I reference a book that you go by, if you go through the link on my site on 48days.com and use the Amazon affiliate link that I've got there, you know, I'm going to get a little tiny residual income, a little commission on that. But for the most part, there's no ads or anything. So the podcast, as I see it, is just a feeder to get in front of more people. So as I have thousands and thousands more people listening to the podcast, then we can introduce them to books that I've written or books that I recommend, instructional manuals, workshops, teleseminars, live events, the 48days.net community, coaching, my speaking. That's how I view the podcast, just in terms of helping as a marketing tool for all those other things. So what you can do, in addition to doing a great podcast and a blog, create an audio product, do a workshop. I mean, I don't know what you have in Zurich, Switzerland, but here in Nashville, Tennessee, we have Whole Foods stores. And I have lots of clients who are interested in health and nutrition, and they do workshops at Whole Foods where they welcome the people doing the workshops, knowing that it's going to bring in new customers, expose them to uh, people who are interested in good health and nutrition. Uh, you might be a distributor for nutritional supplements. Set yourself up as an affiliate with Amazon, then recommend the best books on the topic. Get involved in the whole eating disorders community where every time you blog, you go comment on three or four other blogs. So make yourself an expert. Then when you're talking about how do you approach the media in order to help you with your mission of helping people, encourage people with eating disorders, become known as an expert Again, create great content on your blog, comment on other blogs about eating disorders, send a press release to your local media, send out something that talks about the challenge of teenage girls with all the pressures to be, you know, razor thin and how that leads to eating disorders. Give some facts and figures and then just some uh, brief recommendations I mean, you've got, I, I saw on your blog that you've got information about cooking. If you have an eating disorder, how do you cook? How do you get excited about cooking and then doing it in a healthy way? But you're doing a lot of right things there. Just be realistic about where you generate income. It's probably not going to be from a podcast or a blog directly, but from other things that you do once you've used those to position yourself as an expert in that field. Richard says, hi, Dan, do you think it's worth it to stay at a job where you're unhappy in order to get a pension? I have 15 years service now. If I reach 25 years of service, I can retire and immediately start collecting a monthly pension of about $1,600 for the rest of my life or take a lump sum of about $268,000. If I quit today, I'll get a monthly pension of about $900 a month, but not until age 65, I'm 44 now. If I stay until 20 years, I'll get about a 500 month any, anyway. Okay. I realize 10 years is not a very long time, but when you're miserable, it seems like an eternity. Thanks, Richard. Richard, I agree with you. When you're miserable, 10 days seems like an eternity. I can't imagine. Now, I, I've encountered this a lot. Being here in an area where we have a lot of auto manufacturing, there are a lot of those people who are tied into those organizations where they recognize if I just stay at this stinking job, it's sucking the life out of me. But if I stay here 13 more years, I'm going to have a fully vested retirement account, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I encounter that a lot. 
Now, there are a lot of things to be considered, obviously. I mean, work is not the end all. It's not the only identification of what gives our life worth and meaning. There ought to be other things in our life that help us feel a sense of accomplishment and worth and value. So work is just simply one tool for a successful life. So sometimes it may not be perfect and you realize, no, it's the best choice for me to continue here. But in the way that you frame this, where you're miserable in your job already and wondering if you can eke out another 10 years just to get a $500 a month bump in your retirement, and there is no way in the world I could personally tolerate that. I mean, I have no patience for anything that goes along with what you're describing. I would be looking for another option immediately. I mean, could you get another job and increase your pay $500 a month or increase the the input, the investment into a retirement fund. So 10 years from now, you're in better shape anyway. You know, or could you start something where you create your own residual income where it's going to create, you know, $3,000 a month for you instead of the $1,600 you're going to get for your pension? I mean, just don't think that what you have there is your only option. Look for options that would be three and four and five times better than that. And then ask yourself, why could you not do that? Now, at your age, 44 now, I mean, you, you shouldn't be locked into anything in terms of what you're dependent on for retirement. At 44, you ought to be looking for the next 20 years of your most productive years in your life or next 30 years, the most productive years in your life that you've got coming. So I, I hate to see you backing down thinking that you're just coasting into retirement at this point. You ought to still be figuring out what it is you're going to do that's going to be the most productive thing you've ever done in your life. I mean, most of us don't figure that out till we're about 50 years old anyway. You're only 44. You ought to be ramping up, not gearing down. So, no, I, I can't imagine you staying there for another 10 years for only the small difference that you're talking about. I think you ought to be looking for an option to put you into work that really is meaningful and fulfilling and purposeful and profitable. Again, you never have to sacrifice. Just be creative about making sure that you have all those characteristics in place. Luke from Sheridan, Oregon says, I've played guitar for over 15 years. I've recently found that I enjoy the design and guitar building process and would love to start a guitar building business. I understand that starting a business like this would require me to start small build the business from a part-time to full-time, but I don't even know how to start there. How does one market something like this? Building guitars takes time, and that is something someone working full-time with three kids and active in ministry doesn't have. I guess the big thing is, how do I gradually work toward this career and guarantee success when I've heard that speeding products to production and jumping all the way in is the best way for success? How do I build capital to start up without acquiring debt? Okay, you've got a whole bunch of questions involved here. Let's just start with the premise that you love designing and building guitars. But we also have to recognize building and designing guitars is very time and labor intensive. And to start from scratch and then compete against well-known names like Gibson, Gruen, and others, I mean, that, that's a pretty monumental task. What I would look at, is there a way that you can be involved in this process other than just starting from scratch where you're going to build a guitar, hopefully get your first customer, build another one, or it's going to take you an incredible amount of time to do that. I mean, you, you, you will never find a way 
to be compensated enough for the time that it will take you to build a guitar. I mean, now just think about it for a minute. Let's say that you really want to make sure that you make at least $25 an hour for your time. So whatever that works out to, whatever, how many, ever much time, if then it makes the, the requirement that the, gar, the guitar is going to be $1,200 when you sell it, okay, that is what it is. You have to recognize there are a whole lot of people around the world who are very, very willing to do the same work for $3 an hour. So using that labor, it may mean you end up with the same kind of guitar. Now, certainly, I'm sure you're confident that your design work makes a better guitar, but you're competing to get some pretty qualified people out here in making guitars, even if they mass produce them. So the guitar that you may have to get $1,200 for to give you even $25 an hour, somebody else may be able to sell that for $800 and make a ton of profit on it. I would look for other ways to approach this. I have a friend here in Franklin, Tennessee, who was doing guitar and violin, you know, banjo, stringed instrument repair. That's what he did. He loved doing it, had great customers, but it was very tedious. He was doing a lot of work, spending a lot of time, and he would make $30,000, $40,000 a year. Well, somewhere along the line, he discovered that he could purchase guitars from the major manufacturers as seconds. So if they had a little blemish somewhere, something wasn't done quite right, they would reject it. He could buy those for pennies on the dollar. So he would buy them, let's say, for 10 cents on a dollar. So a guitar that was going to sell for $300, he could buy for $30. He would was required to remove the name. So it didn't have the big name on there. They don't want something like that out there, second quality. But he would buy 10 of those and find that he could have eight of them where with his repairs, he could make it a real, true, marketable, high-quality guitar. He could then take those to flea markets or, better yet, got on eBay, which is really what he did, and started selling those for about 50 cents on the dollar of what they would retail for new. So he had incredible markups. The repairs were fairly minor. He had a seemingly inexhaustible supply of these, the first year he did this, he told me that he took out $350,000 in profit out of his business and left another $100,000 in just for expanding the business if he decided to do that. Now, that's a monumental leap in the money that he was making. Yes, he loves guitars. Yes, he has the ability to design and build one. But rather than starting from scratch and then eking out a living, he simply jumped into an existing arena found a niche that was very profitable for himself. I would encourage you to do that. I, I think, I mean, I, I would encourage you to continue designing and building guitars just as a passionate hobby. I mean, do that. But I think you're going to have a hard time turning that into a realistic, legitimate, viable, profitable business with all the other factors concerned. Well, hey, you're listening to Dan Meller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you got a question, just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. You can leave your question there. We've got a growing group of people at 48days.net. If you like the kind of questions you're hearing here, recognize the kind of people that are asking them are people that share some of your interest where you too are figuring out how to take your interest and passion and turn that into a real business. Just join the gang over there at 48days.net. Just become a member. There's no cost, no obligation, but you'll find that you have an immediate access to a whole lot of resources and a whole lot of really bright, 
creative, enthusiastic people to help you speed up the uh, realization of your dream and your goal as well. Mark says, from Mark from Murfreesboro says, Dan, there are many, many books in print that have not been published digitally. To Kindle, for example, Charlie Duke Moonwalker, Autobiography of an Apollo 16 Astronaut is a perfect example. It was just published to Kindle this week. I contacted the author and he agreed to a profit sharing arrangement if I would publish it digitally for him. Would you share this business idea with your audience? Well, thanks, Mark. I know Mark. Mark's a, golly, Mark's a, a fighter pilot himself, has an amazing history and the things that he's done. Took me up flying a couple months ago. Uh, not not in an F-14, but in a, in a little plane. Had a lot of fun with that. I had a chance to take over the controls a little bit, but, but Mark's got a great history and a great a future for the things that he's laid out that he's involved in. So it's a good idea. He made the technology work to put this book up digitally, and so he's going to share in the profits with the uh, author. And again, the great tip, that process can be repeated a thousand times over. And uh, be cautious about the uh, realistic profit potential on this. I mean, if a book sells for $9.99, which it's likely to do on a Kindle version, the author's going to get about a dollar of that. If you get 25% of his profits, it's going to be 25 cents a book. And if that book sells 5,000 copies, and there's a whole lot of books that never sell 5,000 copies, but let's say that it sells 5,000 copies in a Kindle version, uh, that's going to mean your share would be $1,250. And so you're probably not talking about big bucks here, but again, if you do this for a number of authors, if you do that for 100, then it would turn into something perhaps significant. Good idea. Thanks for sharing that. Dana says, Dana from Kansas City, says, I love doing, now listen to this question. Now, the, the Dana, we can, we can help Dana a lot. You all that are listening could jump in here with a, a hundred things to help out Dana as well. I love to work outside and would love to change careers, but I can't figure out how to make any money at it. Now, Dana, go with me here. I'm not sure why you can't figure out, why is it, is it more difficult to make money outside than inside? I mean, look at the thousands of things that people are doing productively outside. I mean, describe what it is that you are passionate about. Now, being outside, hey, I love to be outside, but, you know, I go out and feed the turkeys, feed the birds, mow the grass, play with my granddaughters, go get the mail. You know, then I come back in because I love working inside as well and the things that out opens up to me. But I don't care what it is that you enjoy. I mean, you can be a ski instructor, water or snow. You could be a forest ranger. I mean, just think through with me here. You could be a tour guide. These are things where you could be outside and be paid very well for it. You could be a landscape designer, a window washer, dog walker, hunting guide, professional fisherman, firefighter, farmer, organic gardener, alpaca rancher. My, my neighbor just whipped through here. He's got one of these really cool Hondas. Golly, it's called like a red hot or something. I forget what it is, but it's a really bodacious four-wheel drive thing and he brings me eggs he just whipped in here and i saw him drop off a dozen eggs on our front porch just a minute ago but he just got a couple alpaca and they are the sweetest animals i, I walked my granddaughters over there and we you know their fur is real soft and they're just they're clean and mannerly and gentle and it's what a cool thing but uh he's going to raise them now he's not really too concerned about 
generating income, but he's going to raise them. And then they, they shear them. The wool is apparently really high value. And so he's going to be doing that. Now, so you could make a list, you could make a list of 500 things you could do where you would be outside. I mean, the gal I've got that does our tree sculptures around here works outside. We've got a team of guys that come in and do the tree pruning and maintenance that I need done. Now, Rob, who has a tree company that I use, has about half a dozen young guys who have come out of a drug rehabilitation program called Narrowgate here just outside of Nashville. It's a really cool program. It's just I'm a big believer and a supporter of the program that they've got. These kids come out, but they're creative and energetic and full of them and vigor. Rob hires them on his tree company. And these kids, I told him a couple years ago when I first encountered Rob, I thought I've got some trees, you know, I need to have some trees topped. You know, they're pretty long, big trees and maybe 65 feet. And I need to have them topped so they don't get too overgrown at the top. Sure. We'll come out and do it. Well, they came out. I expected them to come out with cherry pickers. I mean, the kind of truck that has a real long arm and it takes a bucket all the way top. No, nothing like that at all. These kids have ropes. They throw a rope up over one branch. Boom. They shinny up the tree. If they need to, they'll throw another rope up and go up another 20 feet. I mean, they go up the trees like monkeys and I mean, trim these things at anything I want. I could point out any area in the trees that I wanted and they just go out there and do that. Now, these are kids who would blow a gasket if they had to be sitting inside somewhere, sitting at a cubicle. So they found work that allows them to do things that are you know, really physical. It's like rock climbing. And a matter of fact, on the weekends, these kids go to tree climbing contest. I mean, there are lumberjack events and they go do that just for the fun of it. So yeah, they not only do it all week long as part of their work, but they do it all weekend long just as having fun in the same industry. You can also go to, Dana, just one last thing here, go to vocation vacation, just like it sounds, vocation, meaning what you're calling is vacation, meaning what you do for fun, vocationvacation.com. And you'll see some really interesting things there where you could maybe go spend a week with somebody who's really doing an outdoor kind of project where you do that as a vacation, but then also see, is that something that you really want to do? Great site to get experience inside of an industry that you may want to experiment with. Aaron from Nashville says, Dan, I'm a consultant that helps local governments navigate the process of actually getting their federal funds for transportation projects. Short version is that it's very complicated. I'm going to be hosting a workshop to help explain the process, attract clients, build credibility. So I'm creating a workbook as part of the workshop. The workbook will have many of the public documents, both state and federal, that are part of the paperwork red tape of the process. I will be adding my own content as well to explain what each of the documents is and their importance. My question is, now listen to this. Uh, Aaron is asking this question. He's going to take a lot of the information that's available from the government, put it together, do his own workshop, his own workbook. My question is, do I have any special rules that I need to follow when using public documents as part of my workbook? Nothing I'm using is proprietary and it's all part of the public domain that any person off the street could ask the Tennessee Department of Transportation or their local government for and get a copy of. Yes, you do have special rules for that. Now, here's the, here's the distinction. Just because information is readily available to anybody 
that's not the same as being in the public domain. And if you think about it, so anybody can walk into the Tennessee Department of Transportation and get a copy of that information, you know, read it to their heart's delight. You can do the same thing in a library. You can go in there and get any book that you want and just read it because it's free information. But that doesn't mean it's in the public domain. For something to be in the public domain, it implies that it has an expired copyright. And for something to have an expired copyright, it it either has to be published before 1923 or now the laws are a little different in some of the entering years here. Like in 1978, there were some new laws put in place, but at that point, it's essentially it says copyright is in effect. And again, you don't have to formally file anything. A copyright is in effect for anything that the author writes for the life of the author plus 70 years. So information that you have there is going to fall under current copyright law. You can't take that. You can refer to it. You can talk about it. You can reframe it, put it in your own words. But if you take actual copies of that and put it into a workbook that then you're going to sell, now you're going to be in copyright, copyright violation, unfortunately. You can't do that. So don't confuse that it's free information for everybody with being in the public domain. Those are two different things. And here's an example. As I speak, about five minutes ago, we just had 48days.net come back up. It was down for, well, right at about 34 hours. We've been tracking it. The website totally shut down. We have over 10,000 members there, hundreds of activities going on at any given instant, discussions going on, groups that are active, events being promoted, and the site was shut down by GoDaddy, who I'm not real thrilled about at this point, who happens to host the domain. All they do is just, we have our domain with them. They shut it down because one person, one person complained that there was material within the 48days.net site, there was a copyright violation. Somebody had copied some information about how to do business on eBay. They even linked to the source, but even linking to the source is not really getting permission. They had copied a section on how to do business on eBay and then complained. I mean, the, the original author of that somehow saw it there and it's, of course, it's not difficult to find where your own information is being promoted. And he made a complaint and they shut our site down. They, they sent an, a notice to me as the administrator. One hour, within one hour, they pulled our site down. No phone call, no second notice, nothing. I was in a meeting, a two-hour meeting. Didn't even see it, till the notice, till after the site was completely shut down. Now, I happen to think that's a crappy way to do business, but... It is what it is. But my point is somebody took information because it's out there in the internet. Anybody can read it. It's not even in a book. It's just on the internet, took that and copied it, put it on our site. And then the original author that complained about copyright violation and the host shut our stinking site down totally. It's a big issue. I mean, there's a whole lot of things going on out there right now that have to do with piracy of intellectual property. But don't mess around with it. It's not worth it. It's, you don't need to. If you want to use the information, you can 
reference that. You can link to it. You can put it in your own words and reuse it, but do not take copies of information and put it into your own workbook. You're a sitting duck for problems. Well, Brian from Las Vegas says, Dan, I'm a small business owner of an ad company with 20 employees. One of my copywriters has been working for me since day one. He's been here for 17 years. He's 67 years old. And over the years, we've become friends. The issue is that I feel like he no longer cares about the company. He really doesn't perform to the standards anymore. And that holds back on our projects and hurts the clients. At this point, after having multiple discussions on the topic in a nice and diplomatic way, I feel like it's time to let him go. How would you recommend going about breaking the news to him in this situation without being ungrateful for all the years he gave to my company? Thanks so much for your ministry, Brian. Man, I can feel for where you are, Brian, in a small company like that where everybody's like a family anyway. You've got somebody that's been there for 17 years. But here's what you've got to do. Make this process crystal clear. Document every step of the way. There's too many funky things that are happening out there in terms of litigation right now, and you don't want to open yourself up to that. Do regular performance evaluations. And if you need to speed up the process, you can do them, you know, every 30 days for 90 days. And you've got three in, in the hangar and that'll document you making a decision. Do those performance evaluations. Be very clear about areas that are not up to standards. Complete with the warnings. So it's all very crystal clear. Otherwise you're a sitting duck for an age discrimination suit. You've got somebody that's been with you 17 years. They're now 67 years old and you let them go. Man, that is fodder for any attorney in Las Vegas to raise their hand and say, let me handle this. That's an age discrimination suit. If you haven't documented that it was really based on per performance, I mean, it's going to look like age discrimination. That's the last thing you want. So you need to talk openly about his lack of contribution. Now, as a friend, what I would do personally, I would talk to him, see if he's open about moving on. You know, what are his ideas about work in the future? What are his ideas about work that matters? Now, whatever you do, don't make it sound like you're encouraging him to retire. Again, that goes into a direction you don't want to have any part of. Focus totally on the poor quality work. Now, what you're raising here is the issue this is the exact issue why more and more business owners are structuring things like i've chosen to do here at 48 days zero employees we have nothing but independent contractors and we have lots of those if they deliver the work they've been assigned they get paid if we don't like the quality or the quantity of their work we simply don't assign them any more projects It's not a matter of going through a lengthy performance review and then we have to terminate them and hope we document it and hope they don't go file for unemployment unfairly, all those funky things. Yeah, I mean, employers are tired of screwing with these kind of issues and you can't blame them. And I've chosen to structure my business where I avoid a whole lot of those issues because we use independent contractors and we really do. I mean, with that... I mean, you can't have an independent contractor and then require them to show up at eight o'clock every morning to be at their desk from eight to five, five days a week, you know, and use your computer and your desk. No, that that's an employee. We don't do that. We assign projects to people. I hope they never come to my office. I hope they just do the work on their own and 
show us the work that they've contributed. So you can have it structured like that if you really do honestly have it structured so that it can be independent contractors. But really with an ad company, you probably have a whole lot of flexibility to structure it where people are doing their work more independently like that, where they are effectively and legitimately independent contractors. But yeah, talk with this guy and let him know you're his friend. You're concerned about him. Talk about other options, but just say, make it very clear that his work is not up to standard. Now I used to, you may not have had a lot of employees over the years, haven't had for uh, several years now, but in the old business models, yeah, I had employees, fitness center, auto accessories, you know, my auto business, other kind of things like that certainly had a lot of traditional employees. But when I would let somebody go, I would make it very clear that this obviously was not a fit. You know, I sensed their frustration. I mean, if it's not a fit for somebody, they ought to know it before you do as the business owner. But then as a business owner, I would step in and say, you know, this obviously is not working well. I, I know you must be frustrated with this. You know, let's, let's figure out something you could do that would be better fit for you and would allow you to move up in your own success. So I would release them like that, where that was the premise. We were releasing them from something that was frustrating so they could be free to go do something that was more fulfilling. I mean, Joanne, it was just yesterday telling somebody about how I used to terminate people. And then a week later, you know, we run into them at the restaurant somewhere and they run up and give me a hug around the neck because I never fired anybody in anger, never made them feel like an idiot. No, it's just for so whatever reason, we misjudged. Your skills are not a good match for what we expect to have done here. We need to release you so you can go find a better match. Claude from Las Vegas. Another Las Vegas question here. In my music academy, we have 70 students and 10 teachers. We gain and lose students all the time. What tactics should I try to increase the enrollment and get to the next level? Well, when you have a business, there are two ways to increase your income, Claude. Get more students or sell more to existing ones. Now, either of those are very appropriate ways to try to increase your business volume, take it to the next level. You might look for things that you could keep your students longer, take them to higher levels of proficiency. And Joanne's been going to the same art teacher for about 11 years now. And we joke about it because I think she long ago um, surpassed learning much new from her art teacher, but they've become friends. So the Monday night classes that Joanne goes to is, is more just having a friend connection and supporting her dear friend who teaches the classes than it is really ongoing learning. Now with students, you know, it may be a little different, but yeah, you can ask for referrals. You know, be very intentional about asking students that you have for referrals for others. Give the other teachers commissions on bringing new students in. So they bring in three new students well, so they get not only the paid for that, but they get a little 10% commission on the back end as well. Make your teachers sales people. Make your students sales people. You can even tell your students. I mean, you, you, you would not want to pay them a commission, but you can tell them, well, I'm going to give you, you can give them a gift certificate to a great restaurant in town. You can give them a whole box full of uh, certificates to go to Taco Bell. You can give them a, a box of toffee that everybody in the community knows is really great. You can do a lot of things like that to reward people for bringing you new business. 
Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller, on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. Well, you are listening to Dan Miller. We're talking, as we do each week, about work, real questions, real questions from real listeners like you. If you want to submit a question to be considered for an upcoming show, I'd be happy to see that. You can shoot it in. Just go to the podcast link at 48days.com. You can submit it there. Barbara says, my 23-year-old stepson has a record, a prison record, that will be expunged if he stays clean for the next two years. He's very discouraged about not finding work. Did you ever write 48 days for ex-cons? I would like to get a copy for him. Thank you. Well, I, I have not. That's one of those things. You know, I started this year, 2011, with about 18 things on a list and said that I was going to release one new product a month. So I've done things like how to start your own mastermind group. That's just getting ready to be released. The 48 low-cost business ideas, 48 tips, learn and grow rich. We've got a whole host of things, new things that I've created that are just being released as we speak. But now we are in November. I have switched my writing efforts to the next book contract that I have. The book manuscript is due February first that uh, the working title on that is wisdom meets passion book that i'm writing with my 33 year old son who lives in africa about the different generational approaches to work i'm ecstatic about how it's coming together and the fun we're having and creating the content for that but because of that i will not be doing any more short standalone projects this year the one 48 days for the ex-con is one of those that fell through the cracks it did not make the cut So out of those about 18 that I had, 10 will be completed. So I did stay on track through October with one a month, just like I had set on my goals to do. But at this point, I will not get the 148 days for the XCON out that quickly. Now, here's what you have to look at with your 23-year-old stepson. When you say that he's very discouraged about not finding work, I mean, that's a mindset that we have to break. Finding work means to go out here and then you're, be, you're lucky enough that somebody's going to give you a job. The first thing he has to do is decide what is it that he does that really has value? What is it that he does that he's excited about that he knows he makes just an unusual contribution because he does that so well? As soon as you are able to do that, you remove the pressure of having to find work because then it becomes a question of, is there a company out here that I can align myself with where I do this? Or am I going to, in fact, just do it on my own anyway, because it's what I do really well. So breaking out of the traditional getting a job or finding work mentality will open up tons of possibilities. Nobody, you know, needs to, nobody owes it to your stepson to give him a job in as much as we'd like to think that he served his debt to society, somebody needs to give him. No, they really don't. He needs to determine what it is that he does really, really well. And then it's going to be much clearer about how he can put legs on that, whether that is then going to a company where he tells them, hey, I'm your guy. This is what I do. You need to have me on your team. And if he's that clear about it, there will be companies that will want to have him on their team. And if he doesn't find that opportunity, then he can do something on his own. I mean, you, you can mow yards, wash windows, get a little hot dog kiosk and set up outside the local Home Depot. We've got a lady right now who's doing that here locally. 
It's exactly what she's doing, having a ball doing it. And she makes about 1500 bucks on working on the weekends, doing that. I mean, doing things like that are likely to make a whole lot more money than just getting an $8 an hour job somewhere anyway. Now, here's the other thing that's really tough when you have a prison record. I find that most people who end up in prison are extremely creative. That in itself makes them poor candidates for a traditional job. Now, what I'd like to see is, could you use that creativity to develop work that it's outside the traditional job? And with that, then come no questions, no background checks. You just do great work. That's where I find people who have been in prison find their best opportunities. I find a lot of them that are really frustrated. And if they do get a job, it's an eight or $10 hour job. They're boxed into doing very repetitive, non-creative work. And they burn out very quickly. The temptations of the old things that got them in trouble before are usually too strong. So they need to get a job. Like I was talking about the kids who are climbing trees, doing tree trimming. I mean, he'll hire kids that have a record because it's not a real big deal. I mean, most things that are done that are outside that allow some creativity like that are less likely to create to require the background checks anyway. All right, Grant says... Hey, this is John Tesh, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Well, he needed a short break there to clear um, my throat. Thanks, John Tesh, for stepping in there. Did a cruise a couple years ago with John Tesh, and he's a piano player. Great example of the kind of thing I promote anyway here. But just a all-around great guy and certainly doing work that he loves at this point. Grant says, I've been with my current company. This is from Florence, Kentucky. I've been with my current company for 15 years. During that time, I've been paid hourly salary each time with the potential to receive a small bonus at the end of the year. I'm wanting to make a career change, but also want to go into sales. My biggest fear is not being able to make the amount of sales needed to support my wife and kids, but I feel I could be making a lot more income if I was in a different compensation environment. Any thoughts? Thanks for your unique insight. You know, let me add add one more question here and we'll wrap up with this one. This comes from Craig and it's very similar. St. Paul, Minnesota. Dan, I was in your Saturday group and loved it. That's the eight hours with Dan, live coaching that we're doing, having a lot of fun with that group. My profile says I should be in real estate sales and I'm passionate about real estate. I love to buy and fix up houses while I live in them. I have a good eye for what looks good and what works and I'm very handy. I have my license and would like to sell full-time, but I'm scared as the economy is shaky. I work full-time for the state and was wondering if you had some good advice for me. Should I try to get into an office part-time? Most offices don't want part-time people. How do I transition? Now, Craig, if you love it and you're good at it, the economy can't stop you. And you're right, selling for both of you, these last questions here, selling blows the ceiling off your income potential. I mean, in real estate, people are still buying and selling houses. Now, about 70% of real estate agents got scared and let their licenses go into escrow. If the market dropped off, just think through this with me. If the market dropped off a full 50%, but there are 70% fewer agents in the market, does it make sense? You may now, in fact, be in a great time to expand what you're doing. Yeah. Now, it takes a little time to fill your funnel in real estate, but you can do that part-time and then ramp up quickly. If it's something that you enjoy as you are describing, something you do well, 
it doesn't need to take a whole lot of time to get up and running. And I am certainly not afraid of the economy right now as being a great time to get into real estate. I mean, I know lots of people in real estate who are, in fact, knocking it out of the park right now. They're having a blast because there's not as much competition. There are great values on both ends of the scale here. A great time to get involved with that. Well, as you hear from the music, we're at the end of our time. This is Dan Meller. This has been a 48 Days Online radio show. We appreciate your involvement in the 48 Days community at whatever level you want to be. If you want to be involved in the 48days.net group, you can join 10,000 other people who are turning their ideas into real income, real businesses. We know that you are part of the growing group. Whatever you're doing, you are in that group that is either finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, productive, and profitable. Have a great week.